Hello, and welcome to the Medical Consulting Group podcast. This new episode is part of our efficiency series, where we highlight innovative solutions and approaches that can help medical practices operate more efficiently. My name is Fielding, I'm your host. Let's get to it. My guests today are Jill Maher, owner of Maher Medical Consulting Practice in Chicago. And joining me again is Bill Rayburn, Managing Principal here at Medical Consulting Group in Springfield, Missouri. Excited to have you both on today. Jill, I'll start with you. If you wouldn't mind, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about Maher Medical Consulting, how did it start, and what problems it aims to solve? Sure. Thank you so much, Fielding, for inviting me today. I'm really excited to be here to talk about uh, physician recruitment. And Maher Medical Consulting really started almost eight years ago. And that was after uh, being an eye care business advisor for 10 years. And um, really, it's, it developed because I had so many ophthalmology practices that really had a need for finding great ophthalmologists to join their practice. And as we continue to see a shortage of ophthalmologists, that need just keeps increasing. So my biggest goal with this um, organization is really to help bridge the gap between established physicians and their practices, the ones that have been putting in the blood, sweat, and tears into building their practice over the last 20, 30, 40 years, and the young ophthalmologists that are finishing up residency and fellowship. Oftentimes the expectations are on different levels. And my whole goal is really just to bridge that gap and make sure that everybody has realistic expectations because they're more likely to be successful. That's awesome. It seems like there's, there's a huge demand right now and we're seeing labor shortages across all industries and sectors. It seems like ophthalmology is no exception to that. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's expected that 22,000 ophthalmologists will be needed by 2025. That's just a couple of years away already. And the number of available specialists is currently around 18,500, which already reflects a shortage. Um, Being here in the Midwest, we've seen this shortage already for quite some time because everybody coming out of residency and fellowship wants to go Um, out west or to the east coast or down south to Florida. Nobody wants to be here in the Midwest, unfortunately. So we have certainly seen that shortage here and the rural and solo practices are are definitely the ones that are really feeling the shortage the most. How can um, medical practices help recruit some of these new ophthalmologists to areas that are outside California, New York, the east coast, Florida? Oh, goodness. There's so many different ways to really try to recruit to these areas. Um, The hard part, I mean, there are candidates that want to look in these um, areas in rural and solo practices. It's really a matter of finding them for one. And once you do find those candidates, it's really making sure that the entire recruiting process is flawless for these candidates. And that I think is a, a a lengthy process, but I think there's a lot of little things that can be done to make sure that that uh, interviewing process is really efficient um, and really effective in uh, impressing these young ophthalmologists. You know, it's just like you have a patient that has a journey when they come into a practice. It seems like there's a journey related to the recruitment of an ophthalmologist. When you said flawless, what are some things that can potentially turn off a recruit? 
That, that's a great question. Um, one thing that I find has really been a challenge for some practices, and especially some practices that are maybe um, much larger or some of the PE-backed practices, is that sometimes there's too much of a delay in the process. So my recommendation is that as soon as you have a new candidate, make sure you contact them within 24 to 48 hours. Um, if you wait too long, if you wait a week, two weeks, I've had some practices that have waited a month or, or several months to contact a candidate, that candidate has already moved on to another opportunity um, and you've already lost them. So I think it's so important to keep that process moving. And even when there is, you know, maybe that initial phone interview or Zoom interview, at the end of that interview, if you like that candidate, invite them to come visit the practice. Um, just make sure that there's always kind of the next step in the process on the calendar. The other part too, the other challenge I've seen is keeping that initial phone interview very brief because the most important part is to get this young ophthalmologist um, or this candidate in front of the managing partner or one of the primary physicians within the practice because they really wanna have that clinical discussion with them. So I, I actually had a practice I was working with a, a few years back and every time they talked to a candidate, the administrator would have these very lengthy conversations with these candidates and then she couldn't figure out why the candidate never wanted to schedule the next interview with right. the owner of the practice. And so I started asking a couple of questions and realized that she was actually speaking to these candidates up front for about an hour to an hour and a half. And I don't know exactly what was said during that hour to an hour and a half, but probably <laughs> too much. <laughs> and that's right. why the candidates never wanted to schedule that next meeting. So I think it's really important to get that candidate in front of the managing partner as soon as possible. Yeah, you know, that makes sense. These candidates are highly valuable right now. And so, you know, don't waste time, move quickly, cut to the chase and be prepared for the next steps. Absolutely. And, and I would say just one more thing, too, is you really have to share all the details of compensation, benefits, all of that information up front in that very first phone interview. I think a, they, the candidates these days just don't have the time to be interviewing with so many practices because there's so many opportunities out there. And so they really need those touch points to figure out if this is really the right uh, practice for them or right opportunity for them. So I think you have to be upfront with as much information, be very transparent about what that looks like from the beginning. Hey, Jill, uh, question for you. You mentioned the value of this person to the practice. Obviously, there's this huge shortage you spoke of earlier, and and those are this, kind of the same numbers that I've seen, you know, where we're really not producing any more ophthalmologists. We've got all these baby boomers. We've got all these needs for eye care, you know, coming at us, you know, so it makes this interviewing process even that much more important. What What's the solution for uh, the future? What are you telling practices? You know, do I get one person? Do I get two people? Do I, you know, how do I make sure that my practice is is really ready for you know, kind of what's coming. So I, I recommend number one, plan ahead. 
Um, you know, don't wait until, you know, one of your physicians in the practice has decided to suddenly retire in two months and then start looking. You really need to start planning well in advance. I always recommend at least a year to two years in advance um, to start the search. And that depends on where you're located. Um, so that's kind of your, you know, urban area. If you're in a rural area, you want to start several years beforehand. Um, I think that part is very important. I'm a big believer in a plan B. So if you can't find somebody to fill the positions that you have, have a plan B. How are you going to manage those patients? The other thing that I think you and I have talked about in the past, too, is the importance of that MDOD business model and have optometrists supporting the ophthalmologist so that the ophthalmologist can really spend their time being focused on surgery. And the optometrists, they're really there to support that whole process. So I think that also is very important as well. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with you on the uh, the OD model. I think having an extender for the for the MD surgeon or DO surgeon is is really uh, is really important. But I, the numbers I'm seeing, Jill, correct me if I'm wrong. It looks like that we're producing, you know, about 1,900 optometrists or, or, or so a year out of the out of the programs. And there's 17, 1800 job openings a year. So it, to me, it looks like that, you know, everybody's got a job that comes out that can pass, uh, pass their boards. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I've been doing this for almost eight years now, and it used to be much easier to find an optometrist than an ophthalmologist. But in the last year to two years, I don't know what's going on, but it is much more difficult now to also find an optometrist. So I would say it's as difficult, almost as difficult, depending on the location. Um, so location certainly makes a difference, but yes, you are absolutely right. It, there's a short, gonna be a shortage of optometrists as well. Yeah, and I, I just think that that makes, makes us need to plan even out further. I know you, you, know, you said, depending on where you're at, a year, two years, but you know, Jill, what I'm telling my clients around the country is sometimes, unfortunately, these relationships fail. And I, I don't have a lot of data to support you know, exactly why they fail, but I think sometimes they fail because the doctor has a significant other or that doesn't necessarily like the community. And um, so they, they decide to move on. Well, that throws you back into chaos if you've only planned out a year or two. So mm -hmm. I, I'm probably a little bit more conservative than you telling my doctors, you know, five to seven years is your planning window to bring on another, uh, uh, another ophthalmologist. Yeah, that would be ideal. Um, that would certainly be ideal. And, and again, I think you're totally right. It, it just... You want to be as prepared as possible. Um, and I have seen quite a few practices that even though they don't have a specific need, they oftentimes, if they find a great candidate, they'll hire that candidate and really figure out how to fit them in. And I think that's also an important thing. So I, the other thing that I think is so important is also just to make sure that you continue to have conversations with these candidates at all times, every conversation mm -hmm. that you have with somebody, even if you're at one of these conventions and you're having a conversation, you never know when that might be somebody who you're going to be hiring in the future. So, you know, any type of CV that goes across 
your desk in a practice, uh, take the time and speak with them because you learn from those conversations. Um, and you learn about the physicians that you want to hire, the ones you don't want to hire. And you also make those, you really set the groundwork to build a relationship so that that might be somebody you're going to hire down the road uh, years ahead. So I think every conversation is an important one to have. Yeah. Are you, are you placing many optometrists? Um, I have placed quite a few optometrists, actually. This year has been very slow just because I, I really think all these optometrists are just going out to all the chains. You know, when they're coming out of their programs, they have, uh, I think that average is $180,000 in debt for an optometrist. And actually somebody just told me that their daughter just finished optometry school and she was at like $260,000 in debt. And wow. so I think a lot of these young optometrists are actually going on to start with some of these retail establishments because there's been so many that have popped up over the last five plus years and they are offering very high salaries to start, um, much higher than any private ophthalmology practice is offering. So I think a lot of them are starting out there and oftentimes after a couple of years, they're ready to, to get back into an ophthalmology type practice. Well, um, Jill and Bill, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. I'm gonna close it out. You know, medical practices can always find ways to improve and we love learning about new solutions and approaches and meeting the people behind them. So thanks again to both of you and thank you for tuning in and listening today. We hope you learned something till next time.